This is a Crestview Bible Podcast. For more information, visit crestviewhutch.org. If you want to do some exploring, and if you want to go into a deep mine of craziness, search for opinions online about lab-grown diamonds versus real ones. I mean, did you know this was really a thing? Uh, That's right, whoever they are, they are making diamonds now in labs. Whoever they are, we don't know who they are, but they're making diamonds in labs. And for those who want to engage in the debate, which is probably none of you, (laughs) one big deal is the price. Lab diamonds run 25% of the cost of their natural competition. 25% of the cost. You can get a 2.5 carat lab-grown diamond for the price of a one carat regular natural diamond. Um, Or if you compare one carat to one carat, Uh, the real diamond will cost you $5,625 and a lab-grown one will run about $1,626. Now, I'm not here to make a moral statement this morning about whether one is better than the other as much as I just want to put an idea in your mind that, um, that we go through life about all the time that being unique is significant. Being unique is significant. So unique means, at its most basic level, being the one, being the one, being the only one of its kind. It's unlike anything else. Uh, some might feel that the size of a diamond makes it unique, and so you're not as concerned about, you know, some of these this debate. Um, and so being lab grown isn't a big deal, especially when you consider the value you get to get. Others might think that authenticity is where the uniqueness is at, and so. You want a diamond found as it's naturally occurred in nature, and so you spend more to get that. Because uniqueness matters. Whatever your standard of uniqueness is, uniqueness matters. Now today, we're going back into Luke's gospel, uh, and I've told you that my subject for today is that Jesus is unique. If you've been in church for any time at all, you know this is the whole shebang. You know this is the whole shooting match. Who do you believe Jesus is? And really, you could almost say the question is whether or not you believe Jesus is unique. Um, Bono of the rock band U2, does anybody know who the rock band U2 is? Okay, good. Sometimes I bring up musical stuff and you're like, I don't know Warren G from the 80s rap scene. What are you talking about? And why do I want to regulate? You know, whatever. It's a whole other thing. But U2, hopefully you all get the gist. And Bono, um, he was interviewed by a public radio station and the subject of Jesus came up. And here's what Bono said. Either Christ was who he said he was, God incarnate, the Messiah, or a complete nutcase. And I mean, we're, not ta- we're talking a nutcase on the level of Charles Manson. I'm not joking here. And the idea that the entire course of civilization for over half of the globe could have its fate changed and turned upside down by a nutcase, for me, that's a little far-fetched. So for him, he's saying that the fact that Jesus is unique, this changes everything. And thinking about Jesus being unique is at the core of what we believe as Christians. But in Luke's gospel, Luke's writing, um, not just so that we can see Jesus is unique, he's writing to move us with that information. Like he wants us to get that Jesus is unique for sure. But he's wanting us to have certainty concerning what makes Jesus so unique and why that matters. That we would have certainty concerning the things that we've been taught about Jesus. He's writing to move us to walk away from encountering Jesus with every bit of confidence that he is who he said he is. And he had works to back it up. Now, last week, 
um, we were in obviously the verses right before this, and we saw Jesus show up at his hometown of Nazareth to explain his mission. Um, he announced what he came to do. He announced that he's fulfilling it, or he's fulfilled it, and he's invited us, he invited us into the life that he offers. And it ended with Jesus about ready to get thrown off the cliff in his hometown, but he escaped that attempt and walked out of town. So this week, uh, there's, it's, it's weird what's going on. It's almost like Luke is trying to write something down and he's got a telescope and he's looking into Galilee. And so he's gonna look into that telescope and he's gonna see a scene and he's gonna zoom in real tight. And we're gonna get like a picture of a scene as Jesus interacts with a specific person. And then he's gonna quickly zoom out and go, wait, but here's what we see in the hole. So I want you to pay attention for that throughout this passage because it's really fascinating that um, you just, I'll come back to that imagery again, this telescope thing. Um, and along the way, I think we're gonna have some unique views of Jesus. Now, why is seeing Jesus as unique such a big deal? Why does this matter? I've already talked about that a little bit. But one writer describes the kingdom that Jesus brings as a subversive kingdom, which brings his followers to the table as agents of gospel transformation in this world. So part of the end game is, um, Jesus is unique and he's changing us so that we can be about his mission. This is where the uniqueness of Jesus serves to balance us. We know that we're following someone who's one of a kind. We know he's the crown jewel. We know he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We know that's who he is. And for those who wanna understand who Jesus is, his uniqueness helps us see what makes him pop. And so I think also it just helps us to know like, certainty, confidence. That's what Luke's writing to give us. That Jesus is unique. There is no one like him. This is a worship song like, oh, when was it? In the early 2010s, you know, there is no one like him. There has never, ever been anyone like him. So um, that's, that's who Jesus is. You know, there's no one like him. And the more we're convinced of that, the more compelling our witness is gonna be in this world the more the way we live is gonna be affected in this world. If we just believe like, like we're following a whim of the crowd and we're just going along with however the wave is blowing, who's gonna die for that? But if we see that Jesus is the most unique person who's ever lived and he's laying claim to all that we are, then we're gonna live differently. So that's why this is a huge deal. So um, Jesus' uniqueness accentuates all this. And so I invite you to join me today as we see four views into the uniqueness of Jesus, four views. So that's right, there's four points in the sermon, four views into the uniqueness of Jesus. And again, 431, 431 to 516. So let's read that. When I'm done reading, I'm gonna say, this is God's word. And if you feel led to just respond and say, thanks be to God, that'd be a great thing. Just thanking God for the gift of his word. So uh, that's where we'll, that's how we'll end. So beginning in verse 31 of chapter four. And he went down to Capernaum, a city in Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had an un, uh, the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went 
out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues in Judea. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by a lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master, we, we toil all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid from now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand. Listen to this in verse 13. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but to go and show himself to the priest, show yourself to the priest. And I lost my place and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report of him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. So four views of the uniqueness of Jesus. And man, a lot of action here, wasn't it? I mean, just amazing. I mean, even just reading that, isn't your heart just encouraged? That man, he's so unique. There's no one like him. And that's what we're gonna dig into. Four views into the uniqueness of Jesus. And first of all, Jesus spoke with powerful words. He spoke with powerful words. We see that in that opening uh, passage in verses 31 to 41. And you can see where I got the point from in verses 32 and 36. Uh, last week, Jesus told us that he was gonna fulfill the role of a prophet and speak with powerful words. And today we see that lived out. A man with an unclean spirit speaks up. Um, that's not happened in a gathering here that I've been a part of, but I have been in other places where I have seen that happen in a gathering before. It's pretty wild. Um, so you can just imagine speaking out. And um, I think it's interesting just to note in passing that the spirit world knows exactly and precisely who Jesus is and what he came to do. Like they're not, they're not under any illusions like, well, we're not sure who this guy is. They just know immediately, like, what are you doing here, Jesus? Like, have you come to destroy us? Like they know he has that kind of authority. 
So um, the idea is they're gonna do, the spirit worlds, like the evil spirit worlds, they're gonna do anything they can to confuse us from leaning into Jesus. That's what they're after. They don't want us leaning into Jesus. They know who he is. And in this case, the unclean spirit cries out, ha, that was great, right? Ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus speaks a word and frees the man. It almost like Monty Python and the Holy Grail, like, I say, be quiet. <laughs> you know, like he just says, be silent, and it happens. Like he just has that kind of powerful word, be silent. And the man was healed. Like we're told that. Be silent and come out of him. And the spirit comes out of him. And people are awed by Jesus' power because he's speaking and this is happening. He's not like doing a magic trick. He's not like, okay, let's rub our hands and then... Ow, what are you doing? Ah, you know, like, he's not healing like this. He's just saying the word and, he's, and people are being healed. So he leaves that episode. And then he goes to Simon's house. We're gonna meet Simon. Uh, we met him in chapter five, right at the start there. We'll get a longer episode with Simon in a m- moment, but his mother-in-law was ill. And Jesus stood over her and he rebuked the fever. <laughs> Do any of you try that as parents? Like when your kids have a fever and you're like, hey, that's enough from you, fever, be gone. Um, That doesn't work in my house. Like I'm just like, oh, fever, Uh, let's grab the cold rags and let's do the thing and chicken broth and whatever. Um, So, but Jesus, no, it's different with him. He's unique. He rebukes the fever. He speaks, he speaks and it leaves her. And immediately, we know that it's legitimate because immediately she rose and started serving. It's crazy, he's got powerful words. Then Luke zooms out of the telescope. So like Luke's, he's zoomed in onto the synagogue episode, he's zoomed into Simon's house and then he zooms out. The sun is setting and all those with sick, sick with any disease, Jesus is healing them. Uh, the same scene happens with demons, they're crying out, you're the son of God and he's rebuking them. Again, just speaking powerful words and they're obeying. Jesus wouldn't let them talk. Um, I don't know if this confuses you. Why wouldn't Jesus let them tell who he is? And it's kind of complicated. If, If someone has a reputation of just being crazy and like having a demon, you don't want that person to be, oh yeah, they know exactly who Jesus is. Like it's, Jesus wants the, again, Luke's writing to show the credibility of the witness that we would have confidence about what we believe. And we don't wanna, Yes, Jesus is not saying that he's not transforming those people, but it's the onlookers who don't know who he is. Is this the best way to get that word out? So he just, um, he's careful with his words. And he wants those people that have the demons to be careful with their words. Um, Like we saw at the beginning of chapter four. So all of chapter four had all this demon stuff, right? So at the beginning, what was, what happened at the beginning of chapter four? the leader of the demons coming to Jesus and saying, hey, I got a mission for you that's better than what the father gave you. Why don't you follow my way? And so that's what the demons are after. They'll do anything to derail the cause of Jesus. They're all about destroying his mission. And Jesus is unique because he speaks powerful words. In the prophet Jeremiah, we have that that verse that Bible churches love, you know, God said, his word was like a hammer, a hammer. And uh, when we see these powerful words coming out of Jesus' mouth with authority, we, we see that these are powerful words. 
These are words that can break the strongholds of evil, break the strangling nature of diseases. Um, and his words still have that kind of power today. He's spoken into so many of our lives and he's brought change. He said, no longer is sin gonna be the defining storyline of your life. I'm rescuing you through my son. And he's spoken that powerful word and said, come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. You know, like we, that song we just sang, you know, come on my soul, don't you get shy on me. Come on, let's go. Jesus is inviting us in and he's speaking with a powerful word through his call that's changing us. Um, he's, and then we get to carry this powerful gospel word. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Those gospel words that we take to others. And that same powerful word marches on and is changing lives all around the world, all over the place today. Jesus is unique. He speaks with powerful words. His powerful words make him unique. Secondly, just in passing, um, Jesus is unique as he lives a contrasted humility. A contrasted humility. That's a little odd way to describe humility, but if you see what's going on in verses 42 through 44, and then at the ending of our passage in verse 16 of chapter five, um, this is a contrasted humility because when it was day, Jesus departs and goes to a desolate place. So again, any writer that writes a devotional book is gonna grab this verse and say, see, Jesus loved to go to the desolate places. Now, I'm not saying he didn't. I'm not saying it's not helpful for you to retreat from all the madness of the world. But Jesus is a contrasted humility because I think the point that Luke's trying to make, if you look in the text there, is he's just got a different agenda than the crowd does. So look at, look at his agenda there. The people sought him and came to him and would have him keep him from leaving them. In other words, they're almost like Satan, like, hey, we know exactly what you need to be doing. Why don't you stay here, set up shop. Let's open up the healing business. We'll get these people helped. Life will be better. You're the Messiah. And Jesus is saying, no, like, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. It's a contrasted humility. Like Jesus knows who he is. He's comfortable in his own skin. They're seeking to him. They're seeking him, coming to him, wanting him to stay and never leave. And Jesus knows exactly what the Father has sent him to do. He doesn't need to be distracted or wowed by the crowds. He's got his Father's pleasure over his life. The Father delighting in him. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He must preach the gospel to others. So he was preaching all over the place. That's what uh, verse 44 says. And he retreated to a desolate place. It's in contrast to the agenda of the crowds. He knew who he was, comfortable in his own skin. So he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And pray, Father, I need you. Um, I can't do this without you. You know, he's just praying, he's crying out, he's communing with his father. Um, the humility to not give in to the crowds and what people wanted from him to be alone and find refreshment in his father. That was at the core of who Jesus was. So it's a contrasted humility. It's a humility that knows exactly what he is called to do. And it's contrasted with what the crowd wants him to do. I mean, even in our day and age, churches and preachers, I mean, we love the hype. And we almost can say that like, well, how can you deny what's going on here? Look at this big crowd we have or something. 
and it's just not the case. It's, it's, that's, not the, that's not the tell-all. There's churches that are faithful in other parts of the world where they have to start sneaking out of their houses at five in the morning and arrive in shifts of two to be able to worship like at 2 p.m. And those people are faithful. They're doing exactly what God calls them to do. So we can't let the, the crowds and the big show be what characterizes us. It has to be this, this uniqueness, this basic stuff. And that's the case. Other, relig- other religious teachers we m- might love the hype and we might take all that the crowds would give us, but not so with the son of God, not so with Jesus. Look at how unique he is. He's saying no to that. He's saying, my father's already given me the marching orders. I know exactly what I need to be doing here. And so he withdraws to a desolate place. He's not here for the hype. He's on a mission. And he demonstrates a contrasted humility. He's unique. He's not like anyone. So that's the second thing. Third, in verse, uh, chapter five, verses one through 11, Jesus called reoriented followers, reoriented followers. So this is the calling of Peter. The crowds are still pressing in on Jesus at the start of chapter five. They wanted to hear God's word. After all, Jesus' mission, he just told us, his mission was to preach the good news. So it's not surprising that we turn the chapter and there's Jesus preaching the good news. He's by the shore and he sees two boats with fishermen washing their nets. And he used Simon's boats to, boat to teach the crowds. Um, likely it was an acoustic issue. You guys have probably heard this before. Like he gets in the boat and like he's talking on land and nobody can hear him. But if he backs off, the, his voice will carry further, you know, over the, over the water. And so they're trying to listen to him. So he's done teaching and he invites Simon uh, to drop down his nets for some more fishing. So... He's like, um, yeah, let's do this. You know, you can, let's do some fishing. And, and Simon's response is like, master, we toil all night and took nothing. You almost get the idea. It's like, hey, um, stay in your lane, Messiah. Um, I'll do the fishing. You do the people stuff. Like you do what you do and I'll do what I do. But Simon's reasonable. He comes to a senses there at your word. Again, at his powerful word, I will let down the nets. And Jesus performs this miracle of the miraculous catch of fish. I mean, you know it's significant. Um, fishermen, I mean, I, I'm not a fisherman. I'm not an outdoors person. My parents raised me in the city. Um, we didn't go camping. They loved me, you know. Um, <laughs> sorry. I know, that's a low blow. Sorry. Some of you do that. Blessings to you. Um, no, um, but you can imagine, I've never been around a fisherman telling me about an awesome day on the lake and wanting to share that glory with anyone else. You know, like, um, you know, I caught a fish this big, you know, and or, or whatever it is. And so I think it's gotta be humbling for Simon that the, the catch is more than he can handle in his expertness as a fisherman that he's got a rope and the other guy's, hey, it's gonna collapse my boat, get over here, you know, I need your help, this thing's going down. And they're like, oh, Simon, you're so dramatic, you know, whatever. And then they see, oh, whoa, this is really, and both of their boats are full and about ready to drown. They needed others to come. come. And the great point of all this is brought home to us. Like, are we gonna listen to Jesus and trust what he tells us to do? Are we gonna lean into him? It's not lost on Simon for, 
I think when he finally sees it, he comes and he falls down at Jesus' knees and he just admits that he's a sinner. You can see the life change there because he goes from being called Simon, 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 all in the context to right there in verse eight. But when Simon Peter saw it, now he's different. He's got a new name. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' feet. Um, this is what Jesus does in our lives. He allows things into our lives so that we can go down into humility and die to ourselves. Like, so that we can die, so that we can, Jesus' life was always heading to the cross so that he could die and then it was on a goal to resurrection. It was gonna, he was gonna be resurrected after that. He's gonna die and rise. And that's exactly what happens with Peter here, right? He dies and then Jesus raises him up. I have new life for you now. I've, I'm reorienting you. You're still a fisherman, but now we're gonna fish for people. You're gonna follow me and I'm gonna make you a fisher of people. So he's a reoriented follower. He's a reoriented follower. Following Jesus is gonna change everything for him. And you know, this is what Jesus does. And the text tells us at the end in verse 11, they left everything and followed him. So Jesus calls reoriented followers. He takes the direction that we might wanna go in ourselves and he orients it to a purpose that's in keeping with him. And at the reorientation at its core, it's following him. So we're not just like on our own, we're, we're following him and then we have, you know, all kinds of things at our disposal. So I don't know what the, uh, the question of the day is in your life, you know, you might be wondering like, well, how do I know if, um, like I'm in a relationship that God wants me to be in? And like, I think the basic question is, are you following Jesus? Like, that's the question, that's the basic question. And then following Jesus, yeah, there's all kinds of relationships you could be in that might head different directions. Or like in your work, I don't know what it looks like for me to live for God in the workplace. Are you following Jesus? Are you getting your cues from him or, you know, and then how is he reorienting you? How is he wanting to shape you in that, in that situation? Um, so I think sometimes we think that following Jesus means that I'm gonna quit my profession, sell all that I have, and I'm gonna go plant a gospel flag on North Antarctica because it's gonna be desolate and hard and this is what God wants for me. And he may call some of you to that and let's hope he does. You know, we want, like we just prayed at the beginning of the service, we, we want people to go to these areas that don't have the gospel. That's God's heart. But a lot of times God just wants your heart here. Like he just wants you to be on mission right here. He's just wanting to reorient your life right here. Peter didn't quit his work, but it was reoriented to the one that he was following. And that changed everything. So they left everything and followed him, but they were still about the work of fishing. And Jesus was gonna use that. Jesus is unique. He calls reoriented followers. This is what he does. And then fourth and finally, this passage ends, um, we see Jesus heal with inclusive care, inclusive care. If you are not sure how to spell inclusive, I-N-C-L-U-S-I-V-E, -E, inclusive, inclusive care. I know how important those blanks are to some of you. So inclusive care. So again, uh, Luke's at the telescope and now he zooms in to show, he's zoomed in to show Simon's change, and now we're zooming in to a leper. Now, um, I think we read verse 12 
Like, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. Um, I think we can just read over that pretty easily. A man full of leprosy had probably had a rougher life than you or I have ever known. Um, so I almost just, we almost need to take a breath there. A man who was full of leprosy. I mean, he wouldn't have been welcome to come to the synagogue. He wouldn't have been welcome to come to church. So like he would have hit the door and the priest would have met him at the door and said, um, we got like a whole book of the Bible on this. You look white, like real white with flakes. That means you're going home. You know, you're not gonna be worshiping with us today. You have a skin disease. Um, so there's that. He had also been ostracized in the community. So it's not like he's walking down the hall at the grocery store. You know, we, we see people at the grocery store maybe sometimes that are sick. I always, whenever I'm in the line at the pharmacy, you know, you just listen for all the stuff that's happening in that line. You know, <laughs> you know, what's going on here? Should you be in public? Let me bring your medicine to you. You know, like, and sometimes I'm that person. So it's great. Um, but a leprosy, you know, he's not gonna be walking around the grocery store. He's not gonna be allowed to be out in society. This is an outcast. He's full of leprosy. He's, he's neglected from his religious community. He's neglected from society at large. And on top of that, he has all kinds of physical suffering. He cannot get healed. He's probably tried everything. He's probably gone down the road of what they would have had like to the degree that they had modern medicine back then. He had probably been down that road and he had probably been down the road of homeopathic remedies as well. You know, why don't you go bathe in this bath and put some of the mud of this thing on you and that'll heal you and it hadn't worked. He's full of leprosy. So this is significant when we read a man full of leprosy undoubtedly had a rough life. And on top of that, just even with his family. So I forgot to mention that. Like, um, like today, whatever's going on, you might have a crowd coming over for the, for the game um, or you might get together for Christmas. If you had a family member full of leprosy, they weren't coming over. You would not be hanging out with them. They kind of lived in their own ghetto in certain parts of town. I mean, this is just, this is what this person knew. So without much to hope in, he comes to Jesus and begs him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Like he's, he's going all in, that there's something unique about Jesus that I'm banking on. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And what I told you was to pay attention to verse 13. It's so significant. Jesus stretches out his hand and touches the leper. This leper probably hadn't been touched. Well, I mean, we don't know how long he had gone with leprosy, but he had not been touched maybe in years or his entire life, depending on how long this had happened. And Jesus touches him. I mean, just think about the holistic care of Jesus. Like, I'm not afraid of any sickness. I'm not afraid to get near you. I love you. I wanna be near you. I'm coming close. So he touches him and he assures him that I am willing. And then he speaks that powerful word, be clean, be clean. And immediately the leprosy leaves the man. Now, amazingly, that whole episode, Jesus could have been like, that's right, people. How you like them apples? Boom, and drop the mic. And everybody would have been like, there's no one like this man. Who else can speak and lepers are healed? But that's not what this narrative is all about. Look at this. Jesus didn't do that. He charged the man to tell no one, but to do what the law required for restoration. 
go and show yourself to the priest, make an offering for your cleansing as Moses required for a proof to them. So as the priest examined the evidence of what Jesus had done, of Jesus' care of this man, they would have to do something with this healed man. The priest would have to say, we know exactly who you are, now tell us how you got clean. And he's gonna say, well, I went and met with Jesus and he cleaned me. He said a word, be clean, and I was healed. So they're gonna have to figure out what is up with this guy? <laughs> what is up with this Jesus? At the end of the day, I think Jesus, why I'm calling this he healed with inclusive care is Jesus wants more than just the healing. He wants to rope this person back into community. He wants to restore life to him in the full sense. I mean, healing's part of that, but he wants him to be restored to his family. He wants him to be restored to the community. He wants him to be restored to all these ways that he'd been ostracized his entire life. He's giving inclusive care. And then Luke ends this section by zooming out again. The report went abroad that all that Jesus was doing, great crowds gathered to hear him and be healed. And then Jesus went to a desolate place to pray. So Jesus' care of us through the gospel is meant to restore us in community. I mean, this is really, um, in a sense, what baptism is showing whenever we have a baptism, that we have a new group of people who we identify with, with Jesus at the center. So Jesus' care of our lives, he's changing us to bring us near to others, to invite us into community, to benefit others. You know, um, this is another reason, like, you might wonder, why do we sometimes have these stories about how God's worked in the lives of people? Because there's times where my faith is discouraged and God has put me in a community with people that have lived life to encourage me. So I don't have to walk by myself. So I get to hear stories of how people are persevering through hard times or what God's done to save someone. And I'm reminded, oh man, he's so unique. There's no one like him. He restores people in community. He's building faith in others by the change that he brings in people. I mean, this is so incredible. He, he's healing with inclusive care. So in conclusion today, we've seen um, these four views into the uh, uniqueness of Jesus, that he spoke powerful words, he lived a contrasted humility, he called reoriented followers, and he healed with inclusive care. So part of this sermon is aiming to just show you how unique Jesus is. Um, we focused on what he does, we focused on the change that he brings to people, and all of this builds to an important focus point at the end of the book of Luke, where Jesus is gonna be crucified, he's gonna rise again, he's gonna appear to his followers. Um, Jesus' death and resurrection, all that he's doing, it's meant for us. He's coming to preach this good news. He's coming to say, I'm, a, I'm unique, I'm unlike anyone else. And he's inviting us to respond to this good news. Preaching the good news, I think, means he's seeking to save the lost. This is what he's doing. So, I mean, I, mean, I think you may wonder, well, how can I get on to uh, this Jesus train? You know, how can I have a relationship with him? What does this look like? And I think we get a picture of that in the story with Peter, that we recognize that our relationship with a perfect God is such the case that we haven't measured up to him. We haven't done all that is required of us. We've fallen short of what is required of us. We're sinners. And so we lean away from our sin and we lean into Jesus. 
The Bible calls that belief. And so today, if, if that's something you need to do in your life, maybe you've never had a relationship with Jesus and today you wanna go all in with him. You wanna lean into him. You wanna trust him. We'll have some leaders down after the service down front here. We'd love to pray with you, talk with you, uh, answer, try to answer questions you might have. We'd love that opportunity. So um, believe. Jesus is unique, and I think that beckons you to change, change your life, you know, to embrace the change that he can bring. Like you're coming to him and saying, I mean, I've, I've exhausted myself trying to fix all this on my own, and I need you to change me. And many of us have done that. We've believed the good news. We've turned from ourselves. We've gone all in with Jesus. Is his uniqueness seen in your life? Is his word powerful in you? And I don't just mean like, yeah, I have a quiet time every day. No, like, is the word that he's spoken, the good news, is that powerful in your life? Like, is it changing you? Is the gospel changing you? Uh, what about your life disposition? As Jesus lived a contrasted humility, he showed us that he wasn't like the norm. And maybe you've, you've slowly domesticated Jesus to fit your own whims, that Jesus is gonna be this way. And you're just like the crowd. You're forcing him in. You know, Jesus, if you're really who you are, you're gonna do things the way I want him done. And Jesus is saying, I, I'm living a contrasted humility. I'm not interested in the whims of the crowds. I have a mission that I've been given from my father to do. That's what I'm doing. So be careful that you're not domesticating Jesus and, and roping Jesus into your pet cause. So we need to be aware of this. We need to have a humility about us. And does following him ever reorient you? Or is it always just your way, however you envision that? even in your workplace, is that a space that is changed by your following Jesus? And you might say, well, you know, what does this look like? Well, it looks like you're a person characterized by love, number one, because I didn't say this. Jesus said that the world would know that we're his disciples by the way that we love. So some of you are ridiculous in your workplaces. And what you're saying to the world is, uh, it's not Jesus for me, I have my own agenda. And so I'm just reminding you, this is what Jesus has invited us into. This is, if his uniqueness is true and real, then it's gonna affect the way we live. The way you function as an employee is gonna be different. The way you speak is gonna land uniquely. The words that you use aren't gonna be just like free flowing like everyone else does. It's gonna be different because you follow him. He's reoriented you, he's changed you. The way you show love to others is gonna be evident. And is Jesus care of you drawing you back into the community with others? So, is it roping you back into community? Um, I mean, there's like one application. Some of you maybe, I know you're, you're coming and you've gathered with us for a while. You've been walking through all kinds of church, church hurt. You know, what does it look like for you to plug into this community in deeper ways. I don't know, I'm not trying to press anything onto you, I'm not trying to bully you, but Jesus' heart is for you to be roped into community. And I know there's some hurt that you're dealing with, but uh, what could we do to help you uh, step back into community? That's our heart. Um, so don't miss the point. Uh, Jesus is working to rope you into life together with others. That's what he's doing. 
Now, having said all this, you might think, well, crud, I don't live very reoriented in my workplace, or yeah, I've slowly domesticated Jesus, and man, his words aren't very powerful for me. The gospel's not changing me this week. Um, Whatever. Of course, that's right. Of course that's true of your life. I mean, I'm bringing that all up not to say, so you should walk out of here feeling really bad about yourself. I'm bringing all that up to say, Jesus is unique. <laughs> like, he loves people like us. You, we're not here worshiping him because we did pretty well last week. We're here worshiping him because we recognize that every day we're a train wreck and we have no hope apart from Jesus. So don't walk out of here and think, well, I'm gonna do better tomorrow. That's not the point, that's not what I'm trying to say. Walk out of here and say, Jesus, I want more of you. I need you. You have to change me. There's nothing else I can cling to. If my eyes are on something else, then it's gonna be the train wreck that I already know. But I need you. So look to him, look to him. He's not trying to stiff arm you. He's not trying to jab you. He's not trying to throw a left hook that you never saw coming. He's roping you into himself. He's drawing you near so that you can live, so that you can really live. That leper's not going, oh, well, wait a second. Like, I have to follow the Bible now? <laughs> when did this come up? No, he, he's just leaning in and saying, Jesus, whatever you say, like, whatever you invite me to, I'm yours. You changed me, so I need you, whatever. You know, this is what Jesus does. He changes us. Look, at, stare at his uniqueness. Stare at his uniqueness and ask yourself, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me? How do I have to live differently now? So lean into him. Um, as a church, we're consistently about really just this one purpose. We call it the Jesus Project, that we want you to know Jesus and we wanna make him known in everything we do. And so today, let's do that. Let's know him and make him known and that his uniqueness draws us away from ourselves and it draws us out to others so that we can join with them and glorify and enjoy God forever.